You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics while taking Christian truth into the arena of ideas, this is the Billator Christie Podcast. And uh, we want to remind you that the Bellator Christie Podcast is a production of bellatorchristie.com. We do want to encourage you to go to the website, check it out. Uh, and while you're there, click subscribe. And by doing so, you'll receive, uh, by simply putting your email address in the subscribe button, you'll receive all of our, our articles and links to our podcasts in your inbox absolutely free. So we do encourage you to go take advantage of that. We are on several apps including uh, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Google Play, so you can take uh, the Bellator Christie podcast with you on the go, wherever you may be. We have a wonderful podcast for you today. Uh, this uh, We're going to have a conversation with Amy Downey, Dr. Amy Downey. Uh, she's been with us before on the Bellator Christie podcast. She's no stranger to this podcast. Uh, Amy has received her Ph.D., uh, and first ever female graduate of the Ph.D. program at Liberty University School of Divinity in the Theology and Apologetics uh, program. Uh, she also received her master's degree at uh, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and also has uh, training and uh, degrees from East Texas Baptist University as well as Jacksonville College. Uh, she is the missionary director for Tezaka Ministries. Uh, She's been doing that since January of 2004 to the present time, and so she's the missionary director of Tezaka Ministry. So we're going to bring Amy on with us here in just a few moments, and we look forward to our conversation with her as we're going to talk about uh, the uh, the the Jewish sect known as the Essenes. This this uh, this topic was uh, actually propelled by our last conversation. Uh, I spoke with some individuals who were very interested in this topic about the Essenes. Perhaps uh, any influence they may have had in early Christianity. Perhaps maybe some early Christians who were uh, part of the Essene movement before uh, becoming Christians. So we're going to take a look at that. Also, we're going to talk about today uh, how to reach out to Jewish millennials. And so that's going to be a topic of conversation coming up today on our podcast as well. So we thank you for joining us today. Uh, this is Brian Chilton. I don't know if I mentioned that. Uh, we uh, I do thank you for being with us here on the Bellator Christie podcast. Before we bring, uh, let me first of all say, 
Just a couple of notes before we get into our podcast with Amy Downey. want to thank uh, Mike Burnett, uh, who is the uh, host, founder of Moondog Radio. He was with us last week, and he also provided some great tips on how to make this podcast better, including, if, you've, if you'll notice, a shortened, abbreviated version of the intro music. If you notice that we've shortened it down by at least probably 30 seconds or more. So uh, we want to thank him for the advice that he's given, and uh, we're going to definitely use that. Looking at uh, potentially I- improving the podcast uh, in the future, maybe even making it radio ready. I mean, we never know what God would have in mind. Uh, so if, if the doors were to be open so that we could take this on the radio, that would be fantastic as well. If not, we'll continue doing what we're doing here on the podcast. So I want to thank him. Also, uh, once again, before we bring Amy on, we want to tell you about a couple of things going on at the website that we want you to take advantage of uh, as you go there. And, and not only for yourself, but, but tell other people about this. This, this is uh, how we're growing this ministry by word of mouth, uh, by sharing on social media and the like. Uh, there are two new pages up at the website uh, called Theology 101 and Apologetics 101. Believe it or not, I have been blogging at this website. Uh, it was initially pastorbrianchilton.wordpress.com. It later evolved into uh, Bellator Christie as it is today, uh, but this. But I have written several articles in the issues of uh, uh, on the issues of theology and apologetics since November of 2012. Believe it or not, I've been at this for for what nearly five years. Uh, it'll be the fifth anniversary coming up this November of, of BellatorChristie.com. It was initially PastorBrianChilton.wordpress.com, but it, it will be Bellat- it's Bellator Christie now. But this November marks five years since I've been doing this, and uh, the podcast has developed, has, has evolved over time as well. But uh, a lot of the articles that I had previously written have been lost uh, in, in the halls of blogosphere or the blogosphere so what i have done and this is an ongoing ongoing task what i have i'm seeking to do is to group together a lot of the articles that i have written on several different topics uh, on two different pages so that this will be a one-stop shop for you uh, concerning resources that you may have, maybe not just the resource from the website, but maybe there are some quotations from these resources that you would like to use as well. We do encourage you to do that. I even had a chance, uh, had an opportunity of a uh, seminary professor uh, of of a, of a particular college asking if they could use some of my resources, and I said absolutely. Uh, happened a few years ago, so. Um, but what we've done, and what I'm seeking to do, is to link this together in two pages on the website called Theology 101 and Apologetics 101. And if you go to the main page, you'll see the Bellator Christie sign up at the top. If you look just to the left of that sign, you'll see uh, four links the home button uh, you'll see knowing Jesus if you're interested in having a relationship with Jesus Christ there's a link to that and then you'll see the two pages apologetics 101 and theology 101 um, like I said this is a work in progress what I would eventually like to do what the main goal is to eventually have different topics linked together so that uh, if you have certain questions on certain areas you can go to this this page 
look up certain questions in the area of apologetics and 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 hopefully we'll have some articles resources available for you or to you uh, to answer that question. The same thing with theology. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping to link these together according to topics, theology proper, study of God, pneumatology, study of the Spirit, Christology, study of Christ, soteriology, the study of salvation, so on and so forth. And uh, this will also help me to know what areas that I need to expound to give better, uh, well-rounded uh, information to you, the reader. Uh, and so uh, if you have any suggestions on this or if you have any links that don't quite work, email me. Uh, and you can email me at Brian Chilton, C-H-I-L-T-O-N, at Bellator Christie, B-E-L-L-A-T-O-R, Christ with an I, uh, dot com. So uh, email me, let me know, contact me, let me know if there's a if there's a broken link there. We do, but I do encourage you to go go to these pages, share the information, look through them. Maybe there's some information there that that answers some questions that you may have. Maybe you have some questions that we have not yet answered, and uh, maybe you want to contact me about that as well. So again, this is a work in progress. Keep checking these pages because they'll have more and more links as we get this thing up and off the ground and going. So um, so we do ask that you go check that out. All right, with enough of that, we're going to uh, get in the podcast today. We're talking with Amy Downey, Dr. Amy Downey from Tezaka Ministries. We'll be back right after this brief commercial break. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast. When I first wrote Evidence That Demands a Verdict, truth wasn't so much an issue as what is truth, can you know truth, but now it is. Some of the issues are different because of the internet, like the claim that Jesus doesn't even exist. Are there other gospels that should have been in the Bible? Is Christianity just a copycat religion? So when we updated this, because I hear it from students so often, I thought we have to have the single best chapter that responds to this claim, and I think we do. We had to rewrite Evidence Demands a Verdict because there's so much new evidence out there. It's like one Greek scholar said, the evidence now for the scriptures is like a tsunami, an avalanche that is hitting, and we want you to be aware of that. We want every young person, every student, every pastor, every professor to be aware of the new evidence out there. To understand not just what they believe, but why they believe it. Evidence that demands a verdict. On sale everywhere, October 3rd, 2017. Go to hashtag true evidence. Hi, Greg Kokel here for Stand to Reason, and at SCR we have always cared about Christianity worth thinking about. And when I found out that the SES conference this year was about pursuing a faith that thinks, I realized that if you go to this conference, you're not only going to have the information you need to deal with people who challenge your convictions, you're going to have the information that will help you deal with the toughest critic you'll ever face, and that's you. That's why I hope to see you there at the SES conference October 13th and 14th in Charlotte. Pursuing a faith that thinks. 
Register now for the National Conference on Christian Apologetics by going to conference.ses.edu. Early bird pricing ends August 1st, so be sure to go and register now. Once again, that's conference.ses.edu. The National Conference on Christian Apologetics 2017, October 13th and 14th at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Pursuing a Faith That Thinks. And we welcome uh, Amy Downey with us today. As we mentioned previously, uh, she has received her Ph.D. in Theology and Apologetics from Liberty University School of Divinity. Uh, She holds the distinction of being the first female graduate of that program. Uh, So we welcome again with us to the Bellator Christie Podcast. An honor and privilege as always to have with us Dr. Amy Downey. Amy, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you, Brian. It's always great to be back with you. So, so what are we going to talk about today? Well, first and foremost, uh, you live in Texas, and it, and you're going to have to pronounce it for me again. Waxahachie. That's close. You're getting closer. It's Waxahachie. Waxahachie. Okay. There you go. Waxahachie. So you live in Waxahachie, Texas. Uh, Did you sustain any damage from Hurricane Harvey? And uh, if not, how are those who have been hit the worst doing? Well, we're about five hours away from from Houston area. We're actually closer to the Dallas-Fort Worth area, so... We didn't even get any rain, so wow. so <clears throat> excuse me. So we're doing fine, but the people in the Houston Gulf Coast area they're struggling. And, and I'll tell you, I can tell you this from firsthand experience about how I know how is um, the DACA Ministries was able to take down a cargo van full of diapers. Well, we didn't actually, actually, we weren't able to take down any diapers, but we were able to take down water, baby supplies, underwear, socks, clothing, food. We took down about 350 gospel booklets down to, there's a town just north of Houston called Conroe in the Woodlands area. And there's a pastor friend of mine, his name is Dennis Parrish, and he's the pastor of Needham Road Baptist Church, and his church even had some flooding, but they served as a base for what we did, and we took down supplies to his church, because, you know, as as a ministry, we do believe the gospel is to the Jew first, but the rest of that verse is then also to the Greek or also to the Gentile, and so we wanted to help those who were hurting, and we took down a cargo van full of supplies down to the area and they're hurting and they're despondent and they feel like people are going to forget after the initial flood that's a bad choice of words isn't it after the initial rush of pictures and the emotion because you know as americans we have a short attention span in a lot of ways And after all of those pictures get, you know, 
done to the next emotional crisis, they feel like people are going to forget them. And uh, so they're, they're scared and they're worried. And I saw things, Brian, that still just break my heart. My mom went with me and uh, she still will tell you about watching children with no shoes, with no socks, because their shoes and socks are gone, mm. walking around in, in mud and with their their toys and their furniture and the sheetrock outside just piled up higher than the cargo van. And they're just yeah. and you know, it's not a short term fix, it's a long term fix. And they're despondent. They're trying to put on a brave face because that's what we in Texas do. And uh, because we're stubborn, (laughs) if you didn't know that about Texans. Well, we North Carolinians are pretty well, pretty well too. So. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I think it's a southern thing. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) uh, But they're they have that veneer of we'll we'll suck it up and we'll make it and. But they're scared, and they're despondent, and they're afraid that the world will forget them. And uh, so if you want to help, you know, there's a couple of different organizations. Uh, Obviously, there's Samaritan's Purse. There's uh, Salvation Army. Those are two wonderful organizations, and obviously Samaritan's Purse and is more gospel oriented as far as from a doctrinal perspective than than maybe the Salvation Army is. But you you can trust that those two organizations will be there for the long term. But if you're a, a Baptist and you want to give and you want to know that your money is going to go for long term physical help, but also long term gospel help. Uh, there's the Texas Baptist men that will go anywhere and everywhere. And I know that even when you have hurricanes and, and natural disasters in North and South Carolina, you will see the Texas Baptist men show up for you guys, too. Absolutely. And there's also the Southern Baptist Disaster Relief, which is a rather new organization, but they have been on the ground in that area and they'll still be on the ground so you can go to the texas baptist men and i don't have the website in front of me but you can google the texas baptist men or the southern baptist disaster relief team and you can know that that any support you give to them will will be there for the long term and just to let our listeners know who may be listening in the in the uh, the Carolina region, uh, the North Carolina Baptist State uh, men also uh, also do the same type of uh, organization. So I, I know that we uh, our director of missions for our local association, uh, Dennis Shaw, joined joined up with them, and I think they went in the Houston area, if I'm not mistaken, uh, here recently. I think so. so. So, yeah, I would encourage you, if you're listening and if you're part of the Southern Baptist Convention, or even if you're not and you want to help out, uh, there, there's some great organizations, the Texas Texas Baptist State Convention, uh, North Carolina Baptist State Convention, and, and, and many others. Uh, I think we cover about nearly every state in the uh, continental United States, so uh, look for your local Baptist State Convention and um, see how you can help out. We, we would greatly appreciate well, that. 
And before we move on, the one thing I'd like to add is it's wonderful to give tangible physical help. That's a wonderful thing, and it, and it gives us warm, bushy feelings. But if we don't give them the gospel at the same time, then what are we giving them? Absolutely. You have to get... Uh, I know you've seen it on Facebook, but I've, I've put on there a, a hashtag. It's kind of a, maybe too long of a hashtag. But I've encouraged people to think about giving the gospel and a cup of cold water. Mm. You have to give both or you're not really giving anything at all. Amen. And uh, so that's why, yes, we took down water, we took down supplies and and more socks than I thought was possible, and, and lots of underwear, more than I thought I'd ever want to see in my life. Um, but we also took down gospel booklets, because, you know, you can give somebody cold water, but you're gonna, they're going to be, thir- you know, as Jesus told the Samaritan woman, you'll be thirsty again. But if you give them the, the gospel, you know, as Jesus told the woman at the well, or the Samaritan woman, they'll they'll never eternally be thirsty again. Absolutely. So, and you know, Amy, I think you, you hit the nail on the head because you know so oftentimes, like you say, that we'll, we'll help out in, in situations and we get the warm, uh, gushy feelings, but but we don't go the extra mile to share the gospel, and that's such a very important part of um, ministry tasks that we do in this area. Now, in our in our last podcast, uh, we we discussed uh, some some uh, issues that that we wanted to expound on a little more. Uh, one of the Essenes, and the other is uh, uh, ministering to the millennial generation, is particularly Jewish millennials. So let's start off uh, looking at uh, this group known as the Essenes. Uh, for those who may not know, uh, how would you explain who the Essenes were? You're gonna. You've tapped into my history nerd side. So, <laughs> and by the way, I had some people who are my friends go power to the nerd, and so I guess they don't mind. But the Essenes during the time of Jesus, and even before the time of Jesus, you had three to five, depending on how you count, uh, different sects within Judaism. You have, and most of us know who the Pharisees were, or are, because the Pharisees in my mind still exist, and that's the form of rabbinic Judaism we talked about last time. You had the Samaritans, who, you know, were the offshoot of the, the Jewish people who were captured by the Assyrians and were interracially mixed because that's what the Assyrians did. You had the Sadducees, who were sad, you see, (laughs) who were the leaders in the temple. And then you have the Essenes. And the Essenes are kind of the mystery group, because nobody knows much about them and because they died off. There's no Essenes, you see. And, uh, (laughs) And they're kind of a mystery group, but they left behind... And there's some controversy, and I had a professor at Southwestern who will even admit that there's some there's some people who say they didn't, there's some people who say they did, and Dr. Briscoe, who is my uh, hermeneutics professor at Southwestern, he will say, but they probably did. 
that even though we don't have any Essenes walking around today, um, but the Essenes left behind for us the Dead Sea Scrolls. So even though there's no longer the Essenes, they left behind this treasure trove called the Dead Sea Scrolls that give us this window into this magical world of and mystical world of the Essenes but also give us the oldest living in their fancy theological word, extant or original, uh, oldest living copies of, of what we call the Old Testament. And so who are they and what did they believe and, and wh what do they do? So who are the Essenes? And, and there's some controversy, and, and I know I'm kind of mixing and mingling some of the questions that we've talked about before. And I oh, hope that's, okay, that's fine. Absolutely. And, and so the Essenes were kind of the mystical branch of Judaism. And, and when we think of the word mystical, we have a connotation that, oh, they must have been into magic. And it wasn't that they were into magic. They were kind of, they were the... They wanted to bring Judaism back to this idealistic, pure Judaism as they saw it. That's what I mean by mystical. Right. They wanted to bring Judaism back to the purified, idealistic Judaism that they thought Moses had. And, and I know I'm just kind of glossing over some of the big ideas, but we could spend hours talking about the Essenes. Oh, absolutely. And in fact, and in fact, last night, my uh, my mom lives with me because she's, she's older and, and she has some uh, handicapped issues. And she was like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm reviewing my information. I was being a nerd last night. <laughs> I, and so I had all my... I had all my books down on the Dead Sea Scrolls, and I was looking to make sure I didn't give you too much or too little information. And uh, and just in case some of your listeners are interested, there's a couple of really good books that they could get some introductory information on. And one of them, if you don't mind me giving you these books... Oh, no, absolutely. One of them is, is by a Jewish believer. He's passed away is by a Jewish believer called Sketches of Jewish Social Life by Alfred Edersheim. And, and if, you're, if you know anything about uh, Jewish believers of the 1900s or the 1800s, you've heard of Alfred Edersheim. And then my hermeneutics professor of, uh, of, from Southwestern, and he now teaches at Hardin-Simmons University in Texas, it's called The Holman Bible Atlas by Tommy Briscoe. That, that kind of gives you an overview of what life was like during the time of Jesus. So those are good books. I disagree with Dr. Briscoe's dating of the Exodus, but that's a whole other issue. But, and that's beside the point. D does, he take a, uh, later, does he take a later I, I, date? I'm a, four, I'm a 1445 date for the Exodus. But anyway, and... Uh, so, but that, that gives you some good information for that. But the Essenes wanted to bring Judaism back to the purified. And what they saw going on in the temple at the time of Jesus was a lot of corruption. Mm -hmm. 
So can I go into the history of why they Absol- saw the temple as being corrupt? Absolutely. Too much no, no, absolutely. Okay. I, I think that I think that'd be good. Okay, uh, because during you know the the Maccabees, and we have to go back to about one sixty four. The Maccabees had kicked out the Greeks. That, that's how we get the story of Hanukkah. But with a, you know, there's a quote by Lord John Acton that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And what had happened with the Maccabees is after the, the original family died, that the descendants of the Maccabees, and I'm not going to throw out all the names because some of them I mispronounce, um, <laughs> the Maccabean family became corrupt. And as the and, and as the descendants of the Maccabean family became more and more corrupt, that's when the Roman Empire came to power with Julius Caesar and Mark Antony and the Ides of March and you know all the Shakespeare plays we had to read in high school. <laughs> and Pompey uh, came into came actually was invited into Judea by the people of Jerusalem by the people of Judea because of the corruption of the Hasmonean dynasty, which was the descendants of the Maccabees, uh, who were trying to be both priest and king over Judea, they were invited in Hmm. uh, because they were thinking, hey, the Romans can't be worse than the descendants of the Maccabees. They were wrong. (laughs) And so... So they were invited in, and and so that's how the Roman Empire conquered Judea by invitation. Wow! And and so they were invited in, and so then there became this power vacuum in the temple. Who was going to be the priest? Well, the Romans didn't care about who were the priests in the temple, but they cared about money. Who can give us the most money? Who can bribe us enough? Will become the priest of the temple. Well, the Pharisees had the most legitimate claim, the the lineage claim, and had the probably the most ethical claim to being the the priest and the high priest and to the temple right. But the Sadducees had the most money. Mm. And so the Sadducees, and, and it was back and forth, back and forth, who could, who could basically bribe the Roman officials to who could be the, the high priest in the temple. That's why during the time of Jesus, a Sadducee was the high priest, Ananias was a Sadducee. And so the Essenes were so disgusted by this back and forth, back and forth, who could blackmail or bribe the Roman officials to have the claim to be the high priest, that they just threw up their hands and went into the desert, went into the, to the wilderness, to the Dead Sea area, and said, we give up on you guys. We're going to go and have a purified, real Judaism. Well, now, well, some some of the Essenes, I had heard that I had heard some of the Essenes may have been uh, priests of, of that day and time. Is, is there any merit to that claim? 
there is some there is some merit to that, and there actually is a book called and yeah, I see, I really was a nerd last night. <laughs> there is a book by a man named Michael Weiss, who is a big part of the whole Dead Sea Scrolls translation. Uh, called the first Messiah investigating the Savior before Christ, um, and he wrote a book called, and it was basically somewhat fictionalized, somewhat based on evidence, basically considering the idea that some of the Essenes were a part of the Pharisaical sect who left. Um, and who had some of their members killed because they were in the priestly line and were killed, and so that was part of the reason why they left. Hmm. And so that it's an interesting book. I haven't finished the book, so I can't tell you how much I agree or disagree with the book. But And that's where in the Essene thought and the, one of the theological beliefs is that the leader of the Essenes, who was eventually killed by a what they called the wicked priest, was uh, called the teacher of righteousness, hmm. and um, they had a belief in, in in the Messiah. They actually had a belief in two messiahs, and, and there's and I think I can't remember exactly, but I think we talked last week last time about there was a view in the intertestamental time about two messiahs. A suffering Messiah and a King Messiah. We did, mm-hmm. and um, and some of that is from the Essene thought, and uh, so and and so the teacher of righteousness was killed by the wicked priest because he was trying to purify Judaism, and so that's all a part of the theological beliefs of of the Essenes, is that there was a Messiah and who would be killed because the teacher of righteousness was was killed by the wicked priest. Now, I know and, you... And, Go ahead. Well, I, I was just going to say, I knew you said last week that there were that you, that you believe that, uh, or the last time we were together, that that John the Baptist may have been in a scene. Uh, do you think there's any evidence that any of the other early Christians may have initially been part of the Essene movement? I think there is. I think because of what Jesus taught about purifying Judaism, about reclaiming Judaism to what it was going to be and what it was supposed to be, mm. it would have attracted Judaism. It would have attracted some Essene who might have been, I wouldn't have said marginal, because being Essene was a, was a dedicated commi- commitment. I mean, you had to, it was a two-year application process to even become an Essene. Wow. And to be the most dedicated Essene, you had to take a vow of celibacy. Now, there were some Essenes who were married, because when they found the bones in the Qumran caves, there were women and there were children. But the most dedicated of the Essenes were celibate. So, I mean, you, if you wanted to be a, a scene, I mean, it was a, it was a commitment idea. I mean, there weren't just, you know, fly-by-night essings. But um, I read another, uh, a man by the name of Silberman, S-I-L-B-E-R-M-A-N, actually said that many essings became Christians 
because they saw in Jesus the the realization of the teacher of righteousness. Wow. And so, yeah, there, there is evidence that some of the early Christians might have been in the application process, that they, they were in the application process, and then they saw, wait, that is the, the true teacher of righteousness realized. So we don't have to become full-fledged as scenes because we're seeing the teacher of righteousness before our eyes. And so there is evidence that some of the early Christians, perhaps even John the disciple, was an, perhaps even an essay, or was in the process of becoming an essay. That's one that really resonates with me because you see the uh, uh, the focus that John has on light and darkness, and I, and, right. uh, and I noticed that in some of the Essene writings that you also see the comparison of light versus dark. Uh, you know, the, the, the sons of light and the sons of darkness, and so that, right. that that's that's always been something I've been curious. To know whether there was some link, and it and it appears from what you're saying that there may that there may be. Right, and and I want to read something that's really fascinating to me because I have, and I want to have. I, I know you can't see this, and, and the listeners can't see this, but I'm at that age where I have to put on my reading glasses. So, <laughs> so I don't know about you, Brian, but I have. I'm confessing that now. Well, I but, have horrible well, eyes. I have to wear contacts. I actually have my glasses on now, so <laughs> you're good. <laughs> well, I have on my contacts and my reading glasses, so I don't know what that makes me. <laughs> but, you know... You got me beat but, there. <laughs> I know. But, you know, in the when they've uncovered some of the scrolls in the Dead Sea Scrolls, in the caves, there was just assumption. That, you know, because one of the big complaints that I've had in in Jewish evangelism is, oh, you Christians have mangled the translations. You know, you've mangled the translations of Scripture. And uh, one of the big complaints is, is the example of Psalm 22, because there's always been a, a complaint about how do we translate Psalm 22, 16. Because, and I'm just going to, because there's a, a complaint over whether it should be, because in the Masoretic text, it's, um, it's been translated, um, you know, because we translate it in, in the Christian Bible or the Christian translation that our, his hands and feet, hands and feet are pierced. And that's, you know, the Amy, just 745 Central Time. Uh, version, but in the Jewish publications, they talk about that like a lion are my hands and feet, or, you know, like a lion are my hands and feet attacked, like a, a lion attacked my hands and feet. But, you know, my hands and feet are, are not pierced, because they say, you know, a lot of Jewish people will say the Christians try to force a, a translation that makes it sound like Jesus. That's one of the complaints. Well, when we got the Dead Sea Scrolls out and they found the Dead Sea Scrolls for Psalm 22 that date back to pre-Jesus, they, uh, they just assumed that, aha, we're going to prove those Christians wrong, that they have mis they've mangled the translation, 
Well, and I have my, I have a Dead Sea Scrolls Bible, and uh, and it's called the oldest, and the, the, the little sub subheading is the oldest known Bible translated for the first time into English. And I'm going to read the translation of Psalm 22:16. For dogs are all around me; a gang of evil doers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Wow. So, so the Essenes knew that the person of Psalm 22, which is a Davidic, Davidic psalm, but David knew it wasn't talking about himself. He knew that even as he composed the psalm, he knew it was talking about someone even more than himself. Knew that whomever it was going to be about, would have his hands and feet pierced. Wow. Yeah. And uh, and so that is why the Essenes are mystical, but also understood that a Messiah would come and he would be a suffering Messiah. Very interesting. And that's why I'm Go ahead. I was just going to say, very, very interesting information there, and especially the oldest translation that shows that there was the piercing of the hands and feet. Uh, that just, right. for me, in my opinion, that's that's a touchdown right there, <laughs> if there ever was one. <laughs> but uh, to, to uh, believe it or not, I mean, I, I could talk to you all day about this. This is very exciting information. Uh, but to leave some time uh, to, to the next section of what we want to discuss, um a lot of, ten of attention is given to the millennial generation. Uh, so the question is, how is ministry to Jewish millennials different than, say, baby boomers and Gen Xers? And myself, I'm a Generation well, Xer, and, and, uh, and so I know there's a lot of differences between uh, Gen X and, and millennials and boomers. So how is ministry different to Jewish millennials? Well... And I have to tell you how this started. I was sitting in Jerusalem about a little over two years ago, and I was at a conference in Jerusalem, and and I, I got annoyed. And and you know they they joke with you know you know the old, the old incredible Hulk. You know you won't like me if I get angry, <laughs> and I actually got a little angry, and uh, because it was a conference and. And I, and I don't, do you remember, and, and Brian, you and I have both, well, I know you came to faith later in life, but you've been to church camp, and uh, and you've, you've seen this happen, too. But I, I grew up, I was saved at a young age, and, and you know, and how many times do, do people just give that token night to the young people? Right. Which always annoyed me in the first place. And I was at this conference, and they gave a token night for Jewish evangelism to young people. And number one, I was annoyed. Because you, we shouldn't just give a token night to young Jewish evangelism for young, for the young people. I mean, to me, that should be the focus of conferences. Because, you know, we talk about, you know, they're the future of our church. Well, number one, they, they are the present of our church. Mm -hmm. That's right. And um, and so I was, you know, I was there. My, my seven, at the time, she was 73. My, I got to take my mom to Israel for the first time. She was there. And I noticed 
the other people, actually, some of the other people my age or older got up and left or were bored. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. We talk about there are the future and you're bored and you're leaving. Sit down and shut up. <laughs> and so, and, uh, and so I started talking to some of the Jewish believers who were millennials there. And I became the, the bridge, the go-between bridge between, because I'm a buster as well, I'm a Gen Xer as well. And uh, so I became the bridge between the boomers and the millennials in a long conversation because they felt ostracized at that conference. Mm. And, uh, and I started talking to them because I was the bridge person. And I helped that, you know, they wanted to write a, a letter saying, you need to listen to us. I edited the letter for them because I said, if you send that letter, they'll get annoyed. And so, you know, how do you minister to Jewish millennials? Number one, you listen to them. And, and I, because they don't feel like they're listened to. Mm. Number one, you don't talk to them, you listen to them. And uh, you don't, and, and that's a, that's a hard I, that's a hard concept for a lot of people, because you know we've grown up on the idea of you know you know children should be children should be you know they shouldn't be heard they should be I, I can't think of the phrase but seen, I think seen, you know, but say, S- seen but not heard seen but not heard thank you Brian no problem <laughs> but it should be it should be the opposite. They should be heard, and we should be. We should shut up. That's a good point. And uh, and so they need to be listened to. They shouldn't be talked to. And uh, so I've sat down over the last two years, and I, and what we've done at the DACA Ministry is we have created a beta group where we have actually sat down, and we've and I sat down with a group of Christian millennials. And I have asked them questions, and I have stepped back and let them answer the questions. Mm. Theological questions, discipleship questions, and I've let them have a voice from worship styles. And believe it or not, they don't always like loud music. Uh, Sometimes they like hymns, Mm. too, but they want doctrinal hymns. Mm. And... And they, they want to be heard. They want their voices to be heard. And, and that's the same way when you're talking and doing ministry to Jewish millennials. And sometimes, and, that's, and, and I'm going to say a word that scares a lot of Christians, they, and we have to redefine it from a biblical standpoint, not just a political standpoint. They want to see Christians do a, a phrase that scares us, especially if anyone out there voted Republican. They want Christians to actually do social justice. And, mm-hmm. and I know that scared a lot of people when I just said those two words. But if we do biblical social justice, like Amos talks about, or, you know, to speed the, or as James talks about in James 1, and not the, you know, not the, not the Bernie Sanders types of social justice, but the biblical type of social justice of exactly. feeding the orphans, taking care of the widows, 
of actually giving uh, the gospel in a cup of cold water. If they can see us living out our Christian walk and not just talking the Christian walk, we will make a difference in that when we actually get around to talking to them about who Jesus really is. I, and, I agree. Uh, I agree wholeheartedly. Go ahead. Now, I was going to say I agree wholeheartedly, and I, you know, I, I've often thought that, uh, well, is is as I've, I spoke with a friend of mine, you know, who he said he said that, uh, you know, if if Christians gave the way they should, and we stood up for the things that we should, then we we really probably wouldn't even need social security because we would be taking care of one another and standing up for one another. So I think there's a good point made in that. Well, and I've done a lot of research, and this might surprise some people. Millennials are more socially conservative than a lot of people think they are. Really? They are more pro-life than a lot of people think they are. The The millennial generation is more against abortion than our generation is, Brian. Wow. On the whole. But. There is a but. But, Argent, you know, but they say, okay, you, you don't want a woman to have an abortion, and I don't like abortion. But you ask a woman not to have an abortion, but then you don't do anything for that woman when she chooses not to have an abortion. Mm. What do you do when the nine months are over? Oh, that's a good question. How do you help? Yeah. And so, as a Christian, they want a woman to ha- not have an abortion, but you don't help her raise the child. Mm. So is that very Christian of you? So we as Christians need to not only be pro-life in the womb, we need to be pro-life on day one of the birth of the child. And that's what millennials want to see. Does that make sense? A- absolutely. And, and from the millennials that I have met, you know, they, they want... It seems to me they want consistency, and and right. you know, and so if you're going to believe something, then then you need to follow through with it. And I think that's a good challenge for Christians of all generations um, to 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 seek out a a Christianity that is thorough, that is that is uh, that is consistent. Uh, that the walk is consistent with the talk, the talk is consistent with the walk, and and I right. I think that's a good challenge. Right. And and that is about, that's, that's the idea of doing ministry. And I, I surprise a lot, of, a lot of people when I say that socially, on um, political social issues, millennials tend to, they might, they might smoke their marijuana in public, busters smoke their marijuana in private, but they're not fakes. Right. They are the most, they're the most open, transparent. They have their issues. <laughs> Trust me, I used to teach college. <laughs> but they are not frauds. Right. They are not hypocrites. Uh, they have their issues. But it, they will be transparently honest with you. And uh, they cannot stand hypocrisy. Uh, there's a there's a some a lot of good books by the the leader of the Barna. Uh, his name is David Kinnaman. It's not George Barna anymore. His name is David Kinnaman. Um, about Christian millennials, and one of them is called "You Lost Me," 
and and why Christian millennials are leaving the church. And one of them is, you know, is you lost me because you weren't consistent in your Christianity. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking to our generation. You know, our generation of we will talk the talk it on Sunday, but we don't talk walk the walk Monday through Saturday. Mm-hmm. Because we're I don't have children, Brian, but it's our generation that are the parents of of millennials, and they they saw that and they want they want real Christianity. And working with Jewish millennials, uh, they they are struggling with that same idea that there's no realness in Judaism. There's just there's just structure. There's organization, but there's not realness. And they look at rabbinic Judaism or modern Judaism, and it's just rules and regulations and you give a lot of money, but what do you give out of get out of it? And they're leaving too, but they're not leaving to anything. And that's why thirty five percent of all Jewish millennials will identify themselves ethnically as Jewish, but will list their identity as nothing. Mm. And, you know, because their mother, their mother will go to synagogue or their father will go to synagogue, but they will, but they will say at home they don't even believe in God. Wow. But we got to go to synagogue because it is, it is the social thing to do. So why should they even care? And so that's, that's, that's the challenges that Jewish millennials face is, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna spend. You know, and <laughs> I, I tell Baptist preachers this or Baptist pastors this, and they're like, "Whoa, what a way to get, what a way to get your tithe." <laughs> um, you know, they don't have, they don't pass the plate in in the synagogue. They have dues, and once a year you pay your synagogue dues. And whether or not you go to synagogue every Saturday or twice a year for the high holidays. You pay your synagogue dues, and um, and so everybody pays their synagogue dues, but nobody goes to the synagogue, but or the temple if you're reform. And so the the children of, of these people who go, Mom, why are you writing a check to the temple? We never go. Well, we have to. We're supposed to. And so, but mom, you don't even believe in God. Well, but, you know, we're supposed to. Well, why are you writing this check? Well, we're supposed to. You're going to have your bar mitzvah next, or your brother's going to have his bar mitzvah. But mom, and so it's the hypocrisy. And, uh, And so they just give up. And so ministering to Jewish millennials is showing that there is something to believe in, and what we believe in is real. That so that's, that's probably the biggest challenge. 
Well, Amy, believe it or not, we have run out of time, and this has been a wonderful <laughs> conversation, and uh, definitely we've got to get you back on again. It's a joy and honor to have you with us here, and so uh, we do need to make an effort, and I think we have a challenge in this that we need to have genuine Christianity, then we need to be real right. in our convictions, and not only talk the talk, but but walk the walk as well. For Amy Downey, this is Brian Chilton what? saying, go, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was going to ask if I could just let people know how to get a hold of us. Sure, absolutely. Okay. If you wanted to get a hold of us, and the ministry is the DACA ministry, and there's a couple of different ways. I'm going to give you the easy way first. I'm going to give you two telephone numbers. The first number is 214-356-6080 or... 972-977-2389-214-356-6080 or 972-977-2389 or you can go to our website and it's www.zedakahministries.org or email us at info at thedocaministries.org. Okay, now you can do your little laugh. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> It's always an honor to have Amy with us. <laughs> we have a wonderful time. For and, uh, So we, we have a great podcast, folks. We do want to encourage you to go to the Tazaka Ministries and uh, have them come to your church and share uh, about ministry to Jewish individuals because we are called, as Amy said previously, uh, to go to the Jew first as also to the Greek. For Amy Downey, this is Brian Chilton saying God bless, and we'll see you back next time on the Bellator Christie Podcast. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie Podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Michaela Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristie.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas.